Good morning, church family. For it's wonderful to see all of you here this morning, as today we will once again be in the 12th chapter in the Gospel of Mark, looking specifically this morning at verses 18 through 27, or when the Sadducees ask about the resurrection, which comes to us in our text today, following multiple adversaries of Jesus Christ, having approached him with questions, with the goal being to try to trap him, which really began, if you can remember, back all the way to the end of Mark chapter 11, when Jesus Christ, after he cleansed the temple, was approached by the chief priest, the scribes, and the elders, aka members of the Sanhedrin church, or members of the Jewish high court, who came up to Jesus Christ and asked him in verse 28, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Again, all in an attempt here, church, to try to trap Jesus Christ, to trick Jesus Christ, to take down Jesus Christ, and to ultimately, as we see in verse 18, to destroy Jesus Christ. And the trap that they had set up here, if you will, for Jesus Christ, for it basically went something like this. For if Jesus Christ answered their questions here by saying to them that no one gave him the authority, verse 28, to do these things, or that he was merely doing these things based on his own accord, well, the Sanhedrin then could tell all of Jesus' followers at this time that his authority then was not really from God and that there really was no reason to follow him. However, if Jesus Christ instead said to the Sanhedrin that his authority to do these things was really from God, well, the Sanhedrin then could quite simply arrest Jesus Christ on a charge of blasphemy here and ultimately demand for his death and execution as well. And thus, because of all that, Jesus Christ responded back to them in verse 30 with a question of his own. That question being, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Which eventually caused the Sanhedrin to say back to Jesus Christ, for we do not know. To which Jesus Christ then says to the Sanhedrin in verse 33, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. However, the traps for Jesus Christ, for they do not end there, but instead as we saw last week in Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through 17, The Sanhedrin then sent to Jesus Christ some Pharisees and some Herodians, verse 13, to try to trap Jesus in his talk. The Pharisees, in essence, being a group of self-righteous individuals who were devoted to keeping the law of God and the oral traditions of the law, and the Herodians likely being supporters of King Herod and ultimately that of Rome. Meaning, in essence, you have two groups of people here, church, in the Pharisees and in the Herodians, who do not like each other and who do not get along. And yet, because of their common hatred for Jesus Christ, they still were willing to team up together here in order to try to take Jesus Christ down. By asking Jesus, as we see in verse 14, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them Or should we not? And their trap here, church, quite simply was this. For if Jesus Christ answered them by saying that taxes should be paid to Caesar, 
Well, then Jesus' followers would likely label him a traitor and leave him because of that stance. Whereas if Jesus Christ instead here said that taxes should not be paid to Caesar, well, he could be arrested then on a charge of insurrection here. Therefore, Jesus Christ, he responds back to the Pharisees and to the Herodians in verse 17 by saying, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are God's. In short, as Pastor Ricardo so profoundly put it last week, Give to the government what is rightfully theirs, as long as it doesn't cause you to sin, and give to God also what is rightfully his, that ultimately being your life, Christian. And with that clear and simple and yet brilliant answer from Jesus Christ, the Pharisees and the Herodians then, and seemingly all the others who were also around Jesus Christ at this time, for they, verse 17, They marveled at him. And yet, as we will see in our text today, the antagonistic questions for Jesus Christ, for they most certainly do not end there. Which takes us now to our thesis statement this morning, or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. Christian, there is a glorious resurrection from the dead for those who have placed their faith In Christ Jesus. Again, our thesis statement this morning is this Christian, there is a glorious resurrection from the dead for those who have placed their faith in Christ Jesus. Thus, at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up this morning to Mark chapter 12, verses 18 through 27. And if you are joining us today and do not have or do not own a Bible, fear not, because we've got a Bible with your name on it, located in the chairs right in front of you this morning. And thus all you have to do at this time is grab it, keep it, and turn that brand new Bible of yours to page 848, and join us as we as a church family hear the Word of God together this morning. For again, we are in Mark chapter 12 this morning, church, and we'll be looking specifically at verses 18 through 27, where John Mark, the author of the gospel of Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes, and Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection, and they asked him a question saying, teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised... Have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, 
How God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, quiet our minds this morning from all the distractions of this world and let them be placed solely on you. Father, if anything in this world is stealing our heart's attention this morning, like football games to come, Lord, let us dwell completely this morning on you. The only one who has given us, who will give us a future resurrection of the dead. What a powerful antidote that we have, that we have no reason to fear death. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who came into this world, lived the life that we could not live, died for our sins, and rose again. And the basis of our resurrection is that when we look at the cross and we see the death of Jesus Christ, we also know that three days later he rose from the dead. And because he did it, so too can all those who place their trust in him. Father, let that truth settle deeply into our core today. No matter what we are dealing with, no matter what pain we are dealing with, sin we are dealing with, anxiousness we are dealing with, Father, let us rest in the fact that for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is a future resurrection from the dead. And we will receive bodies fit to be in the presence of our holy God forever. Father, help my lisping and stammering tongue this morning. Let me rely completely on you. Let it be my goal this morning to glorify you, Father, and that these words strengthen this dear congregation, I pray. Let our entire worship service this morning be glorifying to you, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one, Christian, devote yourself to knowing to understanding and to discerning the whole counsel of God in order to keep yourself from falling into theological error. Again, point number one, Christian, devote yourself to knowing, to understanding, and to discerning the whole counsel of God in order to keep yourself from falling into theological error. Verses 18 through 24. And the Sadducees came to him, who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise, and the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. 
So we open here in verse 18 with the Sadducees church. The Sadducees being, as Eckerd Schnebel explains, a group of individuals who represented a religious party of elite priests who possessed significant influence in both the priesthood and in the Sanhedrin. In fact, Caiaphas' church, the chief priest at this time, was a Sadducee himself. And as for their theological beliefs, the Sadducees were not only big proponents of free will, but they also only viewed the first five books of the Bible, those being Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, as authoritative. And thus, because of that, if they could not find then a certain belief or a certain doctrine taught in the Pentateuch or in the first five books of the Bible, they quite simply then would reject it. Which is why they then, as we see in verse 18, did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. Since in their own minds, church, or according to their own views, the resurrection of the dead was not taught in the Pentateuch. And thus the Sadducees then simply believed that when a person died physically, that their soul also then died at that time as well, and that there would be then no future resurrection of the dead. Therefore, in light of these beliefs, these Sadducees then came up to Jesus Christ and initially said to him, as we see in verse 19, teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Which comes to us, church, from Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 and 6, which reads, If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go in her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother and that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. Which in essence was a stipulation in the law of Moses which spelled out that if a married man dies before he had a son with his wife, that his brother was to marry his wife and bear children with her in order so that the family line could potentially continue on and a male heir then could receive the family wealth and property as well. Therefore, in light of that provision, the Sadducees then present this crazy hypothetical situation here to Jesus Christ in verses 20 through 23, which is this. There were seven brothers... The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise, and the seventh, seven, left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. And what the Sadducees were trying to do here, church, in presenting this outrageous hypothetical situation, was to try to display and to prove just how illogical and absurd and senseless, according to them, this idea of a future resurrection of the dead really was, and all the problems that could potentially come along with it. 
And again, the outrageous hypothetical situation being presented here by the Sadducees to Jesus Christ was this. That if a woman married a man who had six other brothers, and that we are dealing with, verse 20, seven brothers in total here, and the man who originally married the woman dies without leaving any offspring, and the woman then goes on to marry each one of her husband's other six brothers, one after another, since each one of them ended up dying before they could leave her any offspring, that in the resurrection then, The Sadducees want to know, verse 23, whose wife will she be? Since in this outrageous hypothetical situation, seven men in total here had her as a wife. To which Jesus Christ initially responds back to the Sadducees in verse 24, not by directly answering their question here, but instead by saying to them, is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Or as the New Living Translation puts it, your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. Which, make no mistake about it, church, was a big deal here. And I say that because, in essence, Jesus Christ was saying to the Sadducees here, or to those church who thought that they knew the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, inside and out, backward and forward, cover to cover, and from beginning to end, that they were the ones in air here concerning the resurrection because they did not know the Scriptures, nor, verse 24, the power of God. To which, as the late R.C. Sproul writes, for we have the same problem today, and that I think 100% of our theological errors happen because we do not know the scriptures. For we all read the same book, but we do not always agree on what the book teaches because we do not take the time to truly understand it. For every believer should strive with all their might to have a sound knowledge of the word of God, lest we hear the same rebuke from Jesus Christ as well, and that we are mistaken because we do not know the word of God. And thus, in light of all that, I want to pause here for a second, church, and focus briefly at this time on the necessity for us as Christians to know the Scriptures, particularly in order for us as Christians to keep ourselves from falling into significant theological error. For to summarize author David Burgess here, for he shared that an artist must go out into God's nature in order to see colors, just as God has made them. Otherwise, their paintings will become murky, because as they mix their colors in the studio, they will begin to lose the sense of true green and true red and true blue and so forth. Therefore, an artist must go out into the open spaces of the world and see the true colors of this world just as God has made them. Similarly, Christians can also become morally and doctrinally colorblind, if you will. And thus, because of that, Christians also then need to continually and consistently go into the Word of God in order to set their paths straight in the truth and to be guided into noble and God-pleasing living. And this is so critical for us today, church, because we are literally living at a time where unorthodox, 
unscriptural and unbiblical hogwash is being spewed from pulpits throughout evangelical America today. And thus, in order for us to keep ourselves from affirming and from believing and from getting caught up into any of that aforementioned hogwash, for we have got to then, Christian, let the word of God dwell in us, examine the scriptures daily, and not be content to just live by bread alone, but instead by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Which means then, Christian, that we have to read the scriptures daily, study the scriptures daily, test the scriptures daily, examine the scriptures daily, and ground ourselves firmly in the scriptures daily in order to keep ourselves, Christian, from falling into theological error and begin denying things like the virgin birth, a historical Adam, a real place called hell, the inerrancy of scripture, the incarnation of Christ, the exclusivity of the gospel, and the coming of the kingdom of God. Therefore, in short, Keep yourself from theological air, Christian, by reading, knowing, examining, and by grounding everything you do, affirm, listen to, and believe in the very scriptures. Since the sum of our God's word is truth, Christian, and every one of his righteous rules will surely endure forever. Which brings us to point number two. Christian, be confident that there is a resurrection of the dead, since our God is not God of the dead, but of the living. Christian, be confident that there is a resurrection of the dead, since our God is not God of the dead, but of the living. Verses 25 through 27. And when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. So Jesus Christ, after receiving the question from the Sadducees in verse 23, that in the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? And after initially saying to them in verse 24, is this not the reason you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God? Jesus Christ goes on then to point out in verse 25 that when they rise from the dead, They neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And that in the resurrection, as Matthew puts it, or in resurrection life, if you will, as numerous scholars have pointed out here, the institution of marriage or marriage relationships as we know them today, for they are not going to continue on, but instead, verse 25, we will be like angels in heaven. Not that we will be angels in heaven, church, but that we will be like angels in heaven. Likely referring to here that we will have no need for the institution of marriage since we will have no need to reproduce anymore. Since resurrection life is a life that is eternal, church, and one without death. To which Jesus Christ then goes on to say to the Sadducees in verses 26 and 27, 
And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. And what's just so fascinating here, church, and Jesus' response back to the Sanhedrins, or excuse me, the Sadducees, concerning their incorrect and mistaken understanding of the resurrection of the dead, it is this. For remember, church, the Sadducees here, for they only viewed the first five books of the Bible, again, those books being Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, as authoritative. And thus, in Jesus' response to the Sadducees here, for he does not take them to just anywhere in the Scriptures in order to confront and to challenge their false views on the resurrection of the dead, but instead, he, Jesus Christ, takes them directly to the Pentateuch, or to the first five books of the Bible, church, particularly to the passage, as we see in verse 26, about the bush which reads in Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And Jesus' point here, church, or his argument here, as Walter Russell explains it, is quite frankly this. That although Abraham and Isaac and Jacob had long since died, when God made this statement to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, that I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, God's covenantal relationship with these patriarchs continued on into Moses' time, thus confirming that they were all still alive, spiritually speaking here, church. And thus, if they were all still alive... Well, we can be sure then that in the resurrection of the dead, that God would also then raise up their bodies to share in the blessedness of eternal life as well, since there is most assuredly, church, a glorious and future resurrection of the dead. And thus, as we begin to close this morning, I want to do so by beginning with the non-Christian who was here first. And to share with you at this time, non-Christian, that as crazy as this whole glorious being raised from the dead thing might sound, 
or as crazy as this whole glorious bodily resurrection thing might sound, or as crazy as this whole living eternally with a glorified body in the presence of your holy God forever might sound, for it is all certainly possible, non-Christian, but only for those who by the grace of God come to faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself who came into this world, non-Christian, as truly God and as truly man, to live and to dwell amongst us and to save us from our sins by initially living for us, non-Christian, a life here on earth that we could never live, in that he, Jesus Christ, lived a life here on earth, non-Christian, that was sinless and holy and righteous and good and in doing so fulfilled the law of God in its entirety, perfectly and completely and without any kind of offense, all for the very children of God. However, keeping the law of God, all for the very children of God, for that was not all that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, accomplished while he lived and dwelt among us. And I say that because Jesus Christ not only lived for us the life that we could never live, but he also then paid the price for our sins that we could never pay by taking our sins upon himself and by willingly giving up his own life by being pierced and crucified, killed and crushed on an old rugged cross at Calvary in our place and as our very substitute, even though he himself never sinned. And in doing so, he, Jesus Christ, then non-Christian, satisfied the justice of our holy God and appeased then the wrath of our holy God all toward his sinful children as well. And thus, because of that, three days later, then, this sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ, for he didn't stay dead or buried in some grave, but instead, since sin and death had literally no power or claim over him, three days later, he, Jesus Christ, he rose from the dead, and he defeated sin and destroyed eternal death once and for all, and now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him. Thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you turn from your sin. For let today be the day that you repent of your sin and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin and can clothe you then in his perfect life, in his righteousness and reconcile you back to God forever. For let today be the day non-Christian, that you repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus Christ. And today will be the day that you will be forgiven of your sins, non-Christian, and given the gift of salvation and that of eternal life. And to the Christian who is here today, for as we close this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, I'd like to do so in light of the fact that the Sadducees here were, are, and always will be wrong concerning their belief that there is no resurrection of the dead. And I say that because when we die physically Christian and are put into the ground, for our soul at that time does not die. But instead, although we become absent from our bodies, 
our souls, they go to heaven, Christian, to be with Jesus Christ, Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, until the end of the age when Jesus Christ returns, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and there will be a resurrection of our bodies. And oh, what a happy and glorious and blessed day that will be. Which is why D.L. Moody could share this story about a bright young girl who, although she was only 15 years of age, suddenly was cast upon a bed of suffering and was completely paralyzed on one side of her body and nearly blind. And while sitting there one day, the 15-year-old girl heard the family doctor say to her parents as they stood by her bed, she is very sick. And her best days are most certainly behind her. To which the 15-year-old girl cried out, No, doctor, for my best days are still yet to come, when I shall see the King Jesus Christ in all his glory. And that is our hope, brother Christian, sister Christian. For we will not simply sink into annihilation, Since Jesus Christ rose from the dead and gave us a pledge of our own resurrection as well. And thus because of that, the resurrection of the dead is the great antidote for the fear of death. And absolutely nothing then can take its place. Not riches, not genius, not worldly pleasures, not pursuits, none of it. Now we have all heard the saying, church, Live your best life now. Or that so-and-so is living their best life now. Or that we all just need to live our best life now. However, as only John MacArthur can so eloquently put it, the only way you're living your best life now is if you are going to hell. And he can say that because for the Christian, our best days, for they are still most assuredly yet to come. And thus, no matter how much pain you might be experiencing at this time, Christian, and no matter how much suffering you might be experiencing at this time, Christian, and no matter how much sin or sickness or disease or cancer you might be experiencing at this time, Christian, for the day is coming when our bodies, though they may die, for they will be raised from the dead. And I say that with such confidence, Christian, and with such certainty, Christian, and with such belief and conviction and faith and assurance assurance, Christian, because our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, for he rose from the dead. And because he did it as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, so too will all those who also place their faith in Jesus Christ as well. Therefore, no matter what kind of sickness or pain or disease you might be dealing with this morning, Christian, for let your heart be comforted this morning, Christian, and let your soul jump for joy this morning, Christian, and let your mind be at peace this morning, Christian, knowing full well that there will come a day when our perishable bodies will put on the imperishable, and our mortal bodies will put on immortality, and you will have a body, Christian, raised in power, raised in glory, and fit to be in the presence of your holy God forever. And thus, because of that, for what else can we say then this morning, Christian? other than thanks be to God who gives us the victory over sin, over death, and over the grave through our Lord and Savior, 
Jesus Christ. Thus it is my prayer that we as a church body don't ever buy into the lie that there is no resurrection from the dead. Since for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is a glorious resurrection from the dead, a future resurrection where our physical bodies will be raised imperishable, raised in glory, and will be raised in power. Therefore, Father, no matter how much sickness we have to endure in this world, or pain that we have to endure, or mourning, or tears, or sin, or crying we have to endure in this world, Father, fix our eyes on the hope that though we may die if we are in Jesus Christ we will live since our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for he rose from the dead which is the basis of our future resurrection as well therefore let us rest in this hope this morning father and forevermore that for those who are in Christ Jesus there is victory over sin over the death and over the grave and that the best of the Christian life is still most assuredly yet to come let's pray Heavenly Father, Lord, let us grasp this hope this morning. Lord, as I have wrestled all week with this text, Father, let these dear congregants, these dear people know that Jesus Christ didn't just come into this world to save us from our sins, but he came to make everything new, to restore us, not just in spirit, but with physical bodies as well, our physical bodies that are still with the law of sin dwelling in them, in our members. Even if we die, these members will be made new, fit to be in the presence of a holy God forever in a new heavens and a new earth, dwelling in the presence of our holy God forever doing what we have been made to do, to worship our God, to praise our God. For this is eternal life, that we may know God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. Father, let us long for this day, that for those who are in Jesus Christ, there is no need to fear death, because we have faith in the Son of God, who not only rose from the grave, but who is himself the resurrection and the life. Father, strengthen us in this belief, I pray. In Jesus' name.